from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Yeah. We had a funny thing happen this week. We were talking about just our different personalities and how much you enjoy surprises and how I don't. And that's a challenge because I don't often surprise you. And then You've had some good ones, though. Occasionally, but not often, not as much as it would bless you. And, and then sometimes when you want to surprise me, it's not always a blessing to me because I don't really like surprises. So we're not the only couple that has this dynamic, I know. You got me. You got me. Totally. When, on when, my 30th don't... birthday oh, yeah. and my 40th birthday. Okay, yeah, that's true. Totally got me. I had no clue what I was walking into. That's right. That's true. So what I wanted to ask you, though, is what is the best surprise you've ever executed? Ooh. Mm -hmm. On someone else. The best surprise I've ever executed on someone else. Yeah. How did it happen? Well, I guess I I could tell the story. Uh, You know it well, Wendy. What? It was the summer of 1990. This is the one that comes to mind. Uh-huh. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I got a better one. Okay. <laughs> I got a better one. Go for it. Because that, that one would take too long to explain. That's okay. a big chapter of my life. This one, <laughs> <laughs> this one, I hid in the trunk of my dad's car, and my brother Nathan didn't know I was home from Colorado. This is when we lived in Colorado. Yes, I remember that. Was, this would trunk. have been like 19. Oh, it was right after we went to Australia. I was home for, was it his graduation? Were you? Did you go to his graduation? I can't say. I I can't remember. (laughs) Anyways, so I think it was my brother Nathan's high school graduation in 2000. And we had just, you and I had just gotten home from a month long trip in Australia with our kids. Okay. And uh, I got on the plane and came for his graduation. He didn't know I was coming for his graduation. I hid in my dad's trunk of the car, and my dad said, Nathan, could you go get something out of the trunk? Right. And Nathan opens the trunk, and out I pop. That was pretty fun. Oh, you are so goofy. (laughs) (laughs) The the part of your brain that notes, hey, don't tell so-and-so, because then I can surprise. Yes, of course. I don't have that spot in my brain at all. <laughs> it doesn't occur to me, but you, you're you good at finding what, those okay, moments. Okay, now I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What surprise did I inflict on you that disturbed you the most? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> you're using all the wrong words. Inflict, disturb. Well, well I've, I had to learn the hard way that my surprises were more like afflictions. Uh, no, but you're Or wrong. inflictions, afflictions, <laughs> I don't know. I feel the love. I know that that's what it is. I know that. I just like to know about things beforehand. I really enjoyed my first surprise on you. Yeah. Which was when I was coming to visit you in New Jersey in April of 1995. Right. And I told you I had a delay in my work schedule and I wasn't going to get there till very late at night, but I was already down the street calling right. you from a, from a payphone. Right. It was before cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> A payphone. Anybody heard of that? You put like a coin in the slot and then you call somebody, right? And you you hold it with like two fingers and you don't want to put it too close to your face because you don't know who's been doing what with that receiver. Yeah, that was surprising for sure. But I, I remember like the surprise wasn't totally happy for me. Like I was happy to see you, but 
it was such mental change yes. to go from I just talked to him, now my mind is adjusting to he's coming tonight. And then to see you like that, that I guess have the gears in my brain don't catch up to things like that very well. well. We, we, it's an opportunity for us to love each other in our differences. Yes, it's true. And to look for the ways our differences are meant to enrich one another. That's so true. It's all good. So I have a question from a listener for you. Okay. Okay. This is a question from an anonymous married woman who asks, is it a sin to read romance novels if they facilitate my sexual relationship with my husband? Mm. Bless you, dear anonymous wife, for making yourself vulnerable. Uh, well, we would have to define romance novels, but my guess here, um, we're talking about novels that are sexually explicit in their narrative, which... Technically speaking, if you look at the word pornography, pornography means perverse writing. We've come in the modern world to apply the word pornography to pictures and images. John Paul II actually speaks of pornography as perverse writing and pornovision as perverse images. So what I understand to be romance novel perverse writings where sexually explicit writing of another, you know, some fantasy land that's being created by these romance novels. Yes, this would take the mind and the heart away from the personal intimacy of your union. If you're using something foreign to your relationship to excite you sexually in order for you to come together in your sexual relationship. This is introducing something contrary to the, the nature and meaning of your spousal intimacy. This goes totally contrary to what the culture raises us to think. In fact, you go to the typical marriage counselor slash sex therapist in our culture today, and they're going to you know, you say we're having sexual difficulties, maybe we're having difficulty arousing one another and we're just tension in our marriage bed or it's not working out so well in our marriage bed. Typical marriage counselor or sex therapist is going to say, here, watch this porno movie or read this graphic romance novel and this will excite you and get you ready for one another. No, it really becomes an occasion of adultery committed in the heart where someone else's sexual experience, either visually or written out is being introduced into your intimacy and that takes you away from the personal communion that you're called mm. to. And here I would say the, the real problem, if there's problem in being intimate with one another, sexually intimate with one another, that to introduce that foreign reality, that romance novel would be taking you in the wrong direction of the healing that's really needed. There is a richness in growing in seeing into the other that is what into, you know, you've heard, I've heard this said and I've said it on this podcast before. Intimacy means into me see. And sexual union is meant to be really seeing into the mystery of the other. And I, I think the solution 
Uh, and, and maybe there's a physiological problem. Maybe, maybe you know, a physical is needed. A, a doctor could help if there are f- actual physical problems. But so often, the problem with our intimacy in our marriage bed is of a spiritual nature. We need to learn how to grow into true into me see. And sexual union is meant to be the expression, the outward expression, the physical expression of that deep inward nakedness where we are opening our most intimate being to the other. Wendy, what are your thoughts as you're hearing me speak? Yeah, thank you for all you've shared and thank you to this listener for this question. I guess the the only additional thought I would want to share is about the process of growing that you're you're on a journey of growth just by asking the question. And you're looking at a problem maybe that has existed in your marriage that you've tried to solve in one way and then questioning was that the right solution when we respond it's not the best solution it's not meant to be judgment toward you but an encouragement that there there is a better solution out there but sometimes the one that's really true to our humanity and true to the dignity of our marriage takes more work, work and is yeah. maybe scary to us. So, I, I just want to acknowledge that. I know we've talked before about bringing things to prayer, and I just, I have this image in my mind of you physically bringing some books to the Lord and just giving them to Him, just saying, here, I trust you. I want to give this to you. It's not going to hurt Him to receive your mm-hmm. romance novels, and then see what He wants to give you in their place. That's reminding me, Wendy, of an experience I had right before our marriage. Uh, you you know it well because we've talked about it. I don't know if I've shared it on this podcast before, but so f- when I was a teenager and younger, I was exposed to a lot of pornography, and it was just a few weeks before our wedding, and I was praying about being a real gift to you on our wedding night, and I started getting bombarded by all these pornographic images in my mind. And I just, as you said, to give those romance novels to the Lord, give them to the Lord. All the enemy can do in the perverse writing or perverse images, right? Pornography, perverse perverse writing, porno vision, perverse images. All the devil can do is take something true, good, and beautiful and twist it up. That's what pornography does. It twists up the true, the good, and the beautiful. And I remember just an invitation from the Lord saying, give me those diseased ideas. Give me those diseased images. Let me take them. And I, I just remember I was like in my mind's eye, I saw this bright fire and I just surrendered one by one all these images that had been ingrained in my in my mind. I surrendered. I said, Lord, untwist this lie and show me the truth. Lord, untwist this lie and show me the truth. And it took a long time to go through the catalog of images I had in my mind. But as I surrendered the final image, I, I'll never forget what I saw. I saw an image of the Christ child nursing at the breast of the Blessed Mother. And I realized this is the truth that's been so twisted up. This is what I'd been longing for mm-hmm. the whole time, to be fed by the beauty and goodness and dignity of, of woman. Mm-hmm. And that beautiful truth got twisted up. So, dear anonymous wife, whatever is attracting you to these romance novels, there's a beautiful truth that has been twisted up. Mm-hmm. And to surrender those romance novels is not to fall into a void, 
but it's you know I'm I'm sure there are memories of books you've read in the past. Give those memories to the Lord and say, Lord, untwist whatever was twisted up in this and show me the truth of what I was looking for. The the invitation is not from to use another metaphor that I often use, you know, we, we have this hunger. We often take it to the fast food for an immediate gratification. Christianity is not an invitation to give up the fast food so you can come over here and starve. Christianity is an invitation to give up the fast food so you can come into the banquet. Mm-hmm. That's where we're invited. You're, you and your husband, dear anonymous wife, you and your husband are invited to a banquet. But as Wendy was pointing out, to get there is a lot of hard work because we have to... We have to expose the junk in our hearts, and that can be painful in a long journey. It is a long journey. It is. But it's if worth you're it. already on it. She's on know? it, and it's worth it. Yeah, it is. Amen. So here we have a question from a husband who says he's been thinking about John Paul II's expression, the disinterested gift of self. Mm-hmm. And he's been pondering it, and I think that's kind of exciting. So share what he said. I think what that is supposed to mean is that I should not give a gift of self out of a selfish motive. But I think that is something else than disinterested. When Christ made his gift of self, he was certainly interested in our returning the gift of self to him. He hoped and prayed that we as humans would respond to his gift of self through offering ourselves to him. I think this qualification is important because otherwise I feel that I would have to reach towards something utterly unattainable when I want to give myself to my wife. In this situation, I'm not disinterested, but highly interested in receiving her gift of self in return. I like this guy. He's thinking. Did he give his name? The name is Jeppy. Jeppy. Hey, Jeppy. Thank you, Jeppy, for this very thoughtful question. I can tell you are engaging John Paul II's teaching and wrestling with it. And I like that. Mm-hmm. So, good on you, as they say down under. Jeppy, here, here's, I think, where the misunderstanding is. Disinterested, and you already pointed this out, but disinterested does not mean you are not interested in the other, nor does it mean you are not interested in receiving the reciprocal gift of the other. But disinterested in this sense and in this context in which John Paul uses it, that we are called to the disinterested gift of self, it means we're not interested in a self-serving way, or we shouldn't be interested in a self-serving way. We should be very interested in receiving the reciprocal gift of the other, just as you pointed out, Christ deeply desires, is deeply interested that when he makes the gift of himself to us, that we would return that gift of ourselves to him. And Pope Francis, I'm, I'm reminded of some things he said that I thought were very helpful in Amoris Laetitia. He says that we can sometimes exaggerate this idea of what it means to, for example, St. Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Mm-hmm. And he, he says we have to recognize that an integral part of love is also learning how to receive the gift of the other. We are not divine persons in that we have this pristine ability to be a gift even when the gift is not reciprocated. Now, this is also a point of entry into Christ's real suffering. He really suffered on the cross in making this gift and knowing 
so many people would not only not receive his gift, but not reciprocate. There's a deep, deep pain there in Christ's heart. And I, even as I say it, I'm thinking of the symbol of the, the sword being thrust into his heart, that that's a symbol of the wound of giving yourself and in return receiving just pain and rejection. So, Pope Francis makes this point. I think it's very important. And I think this, this is what you're getting at, Jeppe, that we as, as human beings, we need to learn how to receive the gift of the other. Because if we don't learn how to receive, we don't also know how to give. There's a, John Paul II says, there's an interpenetration of giving and receiving in the spousal exchange. And we see also this mystery of receptivity in the Trinity, Christ himself from all eternity is receptive to the love of the Father. That's what enables him to be a gift to us. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Mm. And he doesn't say, love one another as I have loved you, until he says, remain in my love. Receive this love I want to give you. Then he says, love one another as I have loved you. Because you can't give what you don't have. So, Jeppe, I affirm totally what you're saying we yearn not only to be a gift, but to receive the gift of the other, and that is integral to spousal love. It's integral to human relationships in general. Do you have anything you want to add, Wendy? Yeah, I think basically everything that Jeppe said there, especially in his final part of the question, I'm highly interested in receiving her gift of self in return. Is so, It's beautiful, and it's not in conflict at all not with at the all. vision that TOB is giving us. It's it's so true. So, bless you in your marriage. I think that's really awesome. I have a question here from an anonymous priest Okay, who says, TOB has been a blessing to me since high school in my own journey of healing. My question is this, how can I, as a newly ordained priest, formally and informally preach slash teach the TOB? especially for youth and young adults. Are there any homily aids by chance? Mm-hmm. Well, dear newly ordained priest, newly ordained, right? Didn't he say he was? Yes, he yes. did. Okay. Yes, there is a help. I would suggest to you, there is a series of books for each of the cycles of readings called Word Made Flesh. And these are, are books that I've written precisely to give people a guided tour of the Sunday readings through the lens of the theology of the body. It really opens the whole of Scripture. I think we we have to claim this over and over and over again because we're we're so prone to say when we hear the term theology of the body, oh, that's for married people. What does that have to do with, with me if I'm a priest? What does this have to do with people who aren't married? Oh, my goodness. I like to say, if you have a body, this theology applies to you. And by the way, at the source and summit of everything we believe as Catholics, at the source and summit of your priesthood, at the source and summit of our whole sacramental life, is the body of Christ given up for us. Pope Benedict XVI says that when uh, we read, a body you have prepared for me, this is in the Psalms, And it's also quoted in the book of Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me. This is in the voice of of the second person of the Trinity, right? A Mm. body you have prepared for me. This is is the incarnation. A body you have prepared for me, Pope Benedict XVI says, this one short line 
is a summary of the entire gospel message. This one short line is a summary of the whole message of our faith. The whole of sacred scripture is contained in that mystery of the body of Christ, that Christ took on a body. John Paul says, if it seems strange to speak of a theology of the body, it shouldn't if we believe in the incarnation, because through the fact that the word of God became flesh, the body entered theology through the main door. So your priesthood is precisely the gift of your body. What do you you say at the consummate moment of your priesthood? You don't say this is Jesus's body. You say, this is my body given up for you. Who's the you? The you is the bride. It's the church. You are married to the church as a priest. This is why we call you father, because in that gift of your body to your bride, you bear numerous spiritual children. The spousal paradigm is the paradigm of our faith. Christ is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. It's consummated in the Eucharist. John Paul II says in his letter to families, we cannot understand what the church is as the sacrament of Christ and his love. We cannot understand what the church is as the body of Christ. We cannot understand what our faith is unless we understand what it means that God made us male and female and called the two to become one flesh, called the two to fatherhood and to motherhood. This mystery of our bodies revealing the divine, this is what our faith is. So, all that to say, dear newly ordained priest, theology of the body is essential to you in your priesthood. Uh, This series of books, Word Made Flesh, can help you in your homily aids. But learn how to become more and more yourself, bridegroom to the church. Oh, I love that. Enter more and more deeply into what you are doing when you consecrate that bread and wine, when you pray the Holy Spirit upon those gifts. Oh my goodness, it's all nuptial. Mm -hmm. It's all nuptial. What are you doing? What are you putting on the altar? You're putting bread. What is bread? Bread, we say it, you, you say it right in the Eucharistic prayer. It's the fruit of the earth. What kind of fruit? It's Bread is made from the crushed endosperm of the wheat plant. It's put on the altar. Wine is put on the altar. Wine, wine is made, obviously, from grapes. What are grapes? Grapes are, are the fertilized ovaries of the flowering plant we call the grapevine. Right? There would be no bread, there would be no wine without the mystery of flowering and the mystery of nature's fertility, which comes through the dewfall, the, the, the calyx of a flower is the cup of the flower. This is where we get the word chalice, right? The cup of the flower receives the dewfall, the petals open up and the little drops of dew come down those petals into the calyx, and that moisture allows the fertility to happen. It allows that grape to grow. It allows that seed in the wheat plant to to do what it does. It's the fertility and the fruit of the earth, flowering plants and their fruit. We put them on the altar, and then what do you do? Grace builds on nature, and you pray that the Holy Spirit come upon these gifts like the Dewfall. Like the dewfall. Like the dewfall. This is where nature's fertility, the fertility of the earth, becomes the fruit of Mary's womb. 
And it's where you give the spiritual seed and become spiritual father. This is why you train to be a priest in the seminary. Because you're called to give the spiritual seed. This is why a woman can't be a priest. She doesn't have seed to give. She has the egg to give. She has the egg that receives the seed. Right? So the nuptials, the nuptials, the nuptials, they're present in the Eucharist. This is why theology of the body illuminates not just what marriage is. Theology of the body illuminates what the whole mystery of existence is, what the whole mystery of our faith is. Dear newly ordained priest, take this ever more deeply into your heart and it will flow out of your priesthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, what you take in will, will flow out of you. Yeah. So receive, receive, receive more and more. And I hope these, these books, Word Made Flesh, will help you. There are only actually two cycles available now, but the final cycle will be released in um, Advent 2020. Awesome. I especially loved just what you said about growing in your love for the bride, the church. I know that the danger when we're excited about something is that we kind of take leaps and bounds when maybe smaller steps are required for, you know, others to yes. get excited with yes. us. Yes. And so, you know, that sense of really integrating Christ's love for the church into your own person, I think will be such a guide for you that that you, in a way, become the message, even you yes. know, even before the words are preached, they're encountering the message of this incredible gift of love. You're preaching when it reveals that you yourself are in a love relationship with the Lord is going to stir the hearts of the bride to seek that with the Lord. So, um, Well said, Wendy. Well yeah, said. I just thank you. I just am excited for you in your priesthood and bless you. Thank you, Lord, for this gift of priesthood. You're reminding me, Wendy, as you share that, of another way that this spousal imagery, spousal truths can be applied to the priesthood. This is from John Paul II's Love and Responsibility. He's speaking specifically to husbands. And he says, the husbands must learn how to be tender with their wives in the marital embrace because the curve of arousal is sharper, typically, in the man. And if he's only paying attention to his own state of where he is, he may not be able to help his wife also come to climax. And so he says it's an act of virtue for the husband to learn how to control his own climax to help his wife experience the fullness of joy in the marital embrace as well. And you said earlier that, you know, maybe the zeal of a priest might Mm -hmm. be a little too much. Right. And he needs to take slower steps in bringing the bride along with him. And this, this analogy really, really applies to the priesthood where the priest must learn the heart of his bride and how to bring her with him into the fullness of these truths. Mm -hmm. And I have learned the hard way. I came out in the mid-90s when I started teaching these things with both guns blazing. Everyone learns the hard way, honey. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're right. You're right. It's okay. I guess I have this complex that my way might have been a little harder because I was a little thick-headed or something. (laughs) But (laughs) thank you for that reminder. You're right. Uh, (laughs) That is an, I just want to point this out to all the listeners. That is an instance 
of Wendy's words of wisdom. <laughs> Wendy's words of wisdom. You sometimes love, you just plop something out there and it goes in like a sinker in a good way. Like by that, I mean, it goes deep in there. You like a plop and it, I can see that sinker like sinking way down to the bottom of my heart. Like mm-hmm. I got to take that in. Mm-hmm. Thank you, love. Sure. Uh, what was I saying though? <laughs> that you came out with both guns oh, yeah, blazing. Came, right, right. When I started doing this work, I came out with both guns blazing and I was like, <laughs> I remember, oh gosh, I can't believe it. I remember this talk I gave. This was in the mid nineties at a seminary. And <laughs> I think I, I think I shocked the priests, these seminarians and the priest faculty with my um, rather, uh, zealous way of talking about the holiness of your body like your penis is holy do you know how holy your penis is um well it's true your penis is holy but i wasn't sensitive to where my audience was Uh coming from and uh in my zeal to enter the dance i i stepped on a lot of toes and um i've learned how to be a more graceful dancer and and look my dance partner in the eye and Mm -hmm. if there's a dip coming in the dance to to wait for the readiness of mm-hmm. my students and my audience to say, can I take you for a dip rather than just dipping them without, And you know. I'm just thinking, you know, some of those readiness for a dip might in a priest, you know, say you're in a parish, might come more in the confessional or in private conversations yeah. of counseling with people rather than when you're standing in the pulpit there, you know, and that's okay because you may have been preparing people in your preaching for those more intimate, you know, revelations, the deeper truths that individuals are ready to hear. So, it's not only in preaching at Mass, but in all you're relating. Good point. There you go. One more thought here for this priest. It's this. This also, the spousal imagery and the spousal understanding of the priesthood shines a light on why the church says only the ordained can give a homily Mm. in the context of Mass. Right? A lay person can obviously get up at the end of Mass or something and, and do what needs to be done in terms of sharing this or that, if, if and when appropriate. But only a, a lay person, an unordained person, cannot preach the homily. Why? Because the homily is the bridegroom preparing the bride for the consummation in the Eucharist. Mm. You can't have somebody else doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, ser- I'm serious. Not, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, for real, this, this, is, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. The bridegroom is, it's like the pillow talk. It's the romancing. It's the opening of the bride to receive the gift of the Eucharist, which is the consummation of the mystical union. Nobody else can, can do that or should be doing that. My point is this. When we put these spousal glasses on, and start viewing everything the church teaches through these lenses, it all clicks. Mm. What might seem arbitrary or ridiculous or weird, all of a sudden it makes beautiful, logical, sacred sense. Mm-hmm. So, dear Father, put these glasses on, and here's, here's an invitation for you. I want you to consider coming to Pennsylvania to take the five-day head and heart immersion course on the theology of the body that we offer here through the Theology of the Body Institute. And I want to extend that invitation to all you listeners out there. Please, 
If you haven't already come, this is the, the entryway into the depths of what John Paul II has given us in terms of what we at the Theology of the Body Institute have to offer. The entry point, the starting point is the Theology of the Body 1 course, and we offer it three, four times a year. We have one coming up uh, the third week of March 2020. That's taught my, by my dear friend, colleague, Bill Dunahy. He is superb. The next one I will be teaching is the third week of June. We'll have the link down here in the show notes. Click on the link to go to the course schedule to learn more. And please don't ever, don't ever let money get in the way. If that's the only thing preventing you from coming, we have a scholarship program. Please apply for a scholarship. We'll find the donors to make it happen to get anybody who really wants to come to come. Please, please don't let money be an obstacle. And for those who really want to go the distance, we have a new partnership at the Theology of the Body Institute with Pontifex University, which allows us to provide with them a full master's degree called Theology of the Body in the New Evangelization. I would urge any of you out there serious about studying this and going deeper to take a look at that. And Mm -hmm. of course, we can't do any of this work without people who believe in what we're doing. We thank you for listening to us. Please pass it along. Hit that share button. If you know someone else who needs to hear answers to the questions we've been addressing today. And if you haven't already, please consider becoming a patron of this work. All the links there, of course, are in the show notes. The patrons who support us month to month you make a tremendous difference in allowing us to get this message out to the world. We're so happy to be in this with you. We, Wendy and I really love journeying with our podcast listeners. Yes. And we're grateful to you all. Remember, you are an indispensable, unrepeatable, irreplaceable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes.